What impact does modern technology and specifically social media have on our lives? There's much talk about this being that it's become such a uh, all-consuming experience. What we will be discussing is the soul's social dilemma. How to look at social media and the entire deluge of the information age on our soul, from our soul's perspective, through the lens of the soul. The soul's social dilemma. A spiritual take on the popular Netflix documentary. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson. I welcome you to uh, The Soul's Social Dilemma, a spiritual take on the popular Netflix documentary. This program is dedicated by Hilary Barr Markowitz in honor of her mother, Miriam Bat Leia. There's much talk about technology's impact on us and on our lives. For many, and for all of us in many ways, it's really been an advancement, a tremendous advancement in communications, work, leisure, how we interact with others. It's essentially eliminated time and space because you can access anything, anytime, anywhere. But what about the negative impacts? So there's much been written about it. Recently, we have the popular The Social Dilemmas Netflix documentary. Some are commending it and lauding it. Some are criticizing it. But regardless, it's definitely a topic worth speaking about. Just look how our children are glued to their screens. Some call it addiction. Can addiction be healthy? Should we not be stimulating ourselves with outside entertainment or outside information and data? Second question, what about the propaganda, the misinformation, the disinformation, different people's agendas, how that's impacting us? And how about the footsteps we leave, that literally anything you search is recorded And you will be then bombarded with types of advertisements or offerings that are directed to your interests. So, of course, there's a privacy issue, but there are other issues as well, which is what is happening to our lives. Are we in control of our lives or someone else in control of our lives? So you have all the pundits and the experts and the psychologists and the tech lobbyists, all weighing in on this. In uh, the Senate, you have hearings of, uh, of uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, Dor- and Dorsey, Twitter, Facebook and Twitter, and the other tech giants who may be clueless or may be very clueful, however you understand it. But there's no question 
that, that self-interest comes into play. If someone's making a lot of money on the data that we provide them, they will try to exploit it to the fullest. How much is acceptable, how much is not acceptable. So we know there's privacy and there's cookies and you, 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 you can opt out if you wish. But it's not that simple. You want to make ben- you want to use the benefits of technology, you more or less have to play by the rules of these entities that are not driven by a cause. They're not driven by a higher cause or your welfare. They're driven to make money. Now, obviously, they offer something that we feel is valuable to us, whether it's a search engine, whether it's a social platform, whether it's a way of communicating and expressing ourselves. So all that is being discussed. I am not going to repeat and go over and, a, a, and create a type of compendium of all the opinions. I would like to take a different approach. What from when inside out? What is our soul experiencing when it looks at all of this? I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Because usually we think of things in terms of how do we process anything, our experience, our minds, our hearts, our uh, environment, our education. These are the factors that inform us of how we process. But have you ever looked at something purely from the eyes of your soul, of the inner most essential you? Now obviously to do that you need to know something about your soul. I would submit, and this is the main thesis of this discussion, that we don't know how to look through the eyes of the soul. We could be trained to do so, which I will try to do here, that we look at through the eyes of the body. What does that mean? Obviously not the physical body. We have physical eyes. It means we look at things based on empirical and somewhat sensory and beyond sensory as much as we can reach. But most decisions are not based on what is best for you and your essential soul. It's often what you feel is most, makes you most comfortable, what will satisfy your needs, what will help you survive and thrive in whatever, in whatever terms you feel it defines thriving or success and so on. Help you make money, help you contact others, help fill your time, help entertain you. Some of it could be very um, superficial and empty, and some of it could be very meaningful. You could very well be using technology to listen to, to watch, to interact with very meaningful experiences and knowledge. It's up to you. But who makes these decisions? I would say it's more or less our physical lens that we use to understand the physical world. But there's a whole other perspective. It's called the soul's perspective. And hence the soul's social dilemma. So let me describe it to you from the words of the mystics themselves. And it's quite fascinating and very refreshing for sure, giving us another perspective, but not a perspective from out there. I hope if I do justice to it, it will actually help you live up to your, to the promise that you will see your life with a new set of eyes, with a new perspective, with a new look. A look that takes the bigger picture in mind that takes you and your identity first, not that which is you're reacting to. Because that's the ultimate goal. Who, is, who are we? As I always point out, when someone asks you, who are you? Many people give you their business card. 
But then when you point out, one second, that's what you do, not who you are, they say, well, what I do has become who I am. Technology, modern technology, and social media included, has only amplified that aspect of often giving you a, uh, an identity that may not even be completely you. Maybe it's fine to be a little shy. Whereas on social media, you can suddenly assume another identity. What the natural you would be like if it were not impacted by everyone around us. And let me make this clear. This doesn't mean we are isolationists. By nature, human beings are social creatures. And we need others. But we need others to support our essential identity. So let's go on a journey. The journey of the soul. This is going to be paraphrasing from original texts, beginning biblical texts, but particularly through the way the mystics explain it in the context of our inner identity. So we all know there was a point you were born. You emerged from your mother's womb. Before that, a point when you were conceived, approximately nine months before your birth. You were carried by your mother for nine months. This is all human beings on this planet, on this earth. Men or women, no matter what race, culture, religion, no religion, everyone, this is an equal opportunity journey. But what preceded that? Did everything begin at the moment of conception? Well, from a scientific point of view, just like we have the Big Bang and the universe began at a certain point, we can't talk about before because we have no documented evidence. And yet the mystics do speak about it. They speak about a soul prior to its arriving into its body, prior to the moment of conception, when the father's seed fertilizes the mother's egg, ovary, and, con and conception takes place, the cell begins to split, and as over the months, will develop the fetus will develop into a full-blown, health, healthy child, please, please God. And then birth, and even we don't remember our births, but then our memories begin to emerge in our conscious lives from the moment you are born until you are till this very day. And now you're walking on this earth, whatever it is that you occupy yourself with, your work, your home, your entertainment, dealing with a pandemic. And everything you're dealing with is not necessarily informed by all that, though that's where it originated, where you originated. It's informed by your, by your parents, by your education, by your environment, by social interactions and social media and technology and on and on and on. But let's go back again. I just wanted to create the, 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 the path line and the timeline, the trajectory. So we go back. Preceding conception, your soul existed and exists, but not occupying a physical space, a physical location. I often give the example, actually at the end of the process, what happens upon death when body and soul separate? People ask, where, did my, where does the soul of my loved one go? So I give the analogy of a refrigerator, an imaginary dialogue between a refrigerator and electricity, where the refrigerator says to electricity, what happens to you, electricity, when they pull the plug? And electricity incredulously responds, what, happened to me? what happens to me? What a chutzpah, what nerve. You're a little box they just invented the last century or two. They figured out how to generate me electricity. 
They figured how to channel it inside this box called you, harness it, and you refrigerate food, which is great. And you ask me where I go? I go back long before you existed. I go back to my natural place, which is not confined by your little box. In a place where electricity is beyond time and space as we physically know it. So look at it, let's, and of course, when you think about it, of course that makes sense. But we're so familiar with the box, we think this is where it's at. So let's now go to the beginning of the process. This is after death. Beginning of the process is exactly the same thing as electricity before it entered a box. By con- upon conception, without going into the scientific and the spiritual dynamics of mechanics of how this works, conception, something happens that the electricity, I'm just using that as an analogy, the soul and its energy connect to a physical entity. At that point, it's a minuscule, it's one cell, which will split, 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 but that will be the essence of our DNA, not just our physical DNA, but our spiritual DNA. So this soul is some form of a spiritual entity which needs effort, needs contemplation to figure out and understand what it's like. To give the best example for it, I use it in my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, the first chapter, Body and Soul. A soul is like a flame. A flame defies gravity. It's a transcendent force. It's essentially transcendent energy. Another way to put it, it's your fundamental mission in life. Your soul embodies why you exist. When the soul, before it enters into any body upon conception, it is pure, pure spiritual energy. And it has its own journey. And when it enters, it begins to interact with, and its journey will now take place in a particular space that is where you will be born and live and a particular time. Another analogy could be, think of it like a bird flying in the sky, unfettered. Then that bird comes onto the shoulder of an individual riding a boat down a river of time. Past, present, and future are the banks of the river, yesterday, today, tomorrow. The bird has a bird's eye view. But when the bird then lands on your shoulder, which is the body, it now is seeing the existence as the person on the boat is seeing it within time and space, the confines and parameters of time and space as we know it. Okay. So with that said... Now let us go backwards. So then how does the soul see its interaction with this existence? So briefly, the mystics and especially the Hasidic masters talk actually about the sadness of the soul as it enters this world. It doesn't want to come here. Because the soul gives one look at this universe and sees all the issues, the corruption, the duplicity, the agendas, the short-sightedness. Everything that is is antithetical to its divine, its spiritual purpose, to its transcendent nature. We live in a world that's not fundamentally transcendent, it's fundamentally indulgent. But me, me, me. Obviously we have the choice, and we'll talk about that shortly. But on its own, a world filled with health issues, pain, suffering, injustices, exploitation, violation, betrayals, not just painting a negative picture, there's also beautiful things. But why would a soul want to leave its warm nest, its warm spiritual environment, 
and be confined in a body subject to all the elements that the body will now be confined to. The needs, the vulnerabilities. A soul is in its pure place, it doesn't have any of these challenges, does not have to contend with lies, deception, disinformation, confusion. I mean, the list goes on. You could add any one of the words, more words. So a soul looks at it like a bird's eye view down. Why would I want to go here? Say the mystics, this is where your purpose is to come and fulfill your true purpose, your true actualization of your potential is fulfilled down there. Because here in a spiritual environment, there's no challenges. Yes, you're basking, you're enjoying the glow of spiritual nourishment. You're filled, you're sated. But it's like a spoiled son of a king, that's one of the analogies given, living in a palace. All, everything is taken care of. The purpose is to go down. It's called the descent of the soul into the physical reality. Now the soul is pained by it. But we're told in one statement, you must go. The soul is compelled to go. And of course, the soul being an obedient and dedicated servant to its purpose, it's, it's, does not have the selfishness and ego of the physical world. So the soul, of course, listens. And ultimately be, be rewarded and realize, yes, it is the resistance and it's the darkness of this world that will bring out the greatest light of this soul. But it knows it's going to be a difficult journey. So the soul comes down like a flame, continues to have its transcendent nature, but now it has to contend with a wick. If the soul's a flame, the body's a wick, the physical world, which the gravitational pull draws it down. And the soul is now subject to the forces of this universe, gravitational forces, not just physical gravity, but all the things that seduce and attract and distract, distract the soul from its true purpose. So there we have it. You, in this world, have two voices. One is your material, ego, physical voice, which talks about survival, instant gratification, pleasure, whatever it takes. And there's the soul's voice, which is much more subtle and often drowned out, which talks about why are you here? Are you living up to your calling? Are you using your skills and resources to bring light to this world? Or are you part of the problem? Are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? So young children, without going into a whole elaboration, actually are far more soulful because they've not yet been polluted and toxified by the world around them. Unfortunately, it will happen. Everyone will lose their innocence. If we have a healthy home and family and environment, we will have that, it will bolster and reinforce that spiritual vision of life, seeing everything through the lens of purpose and meaning, and service, and deeper long-term significance. But unfortunately, if we're not, then the toxins come far too early. We lose our innocence too early. Whether it's a betrayals, whether it's abuse, whether it's a violation, in some form of another, the lack of nurturing of the soul, the soul begins to recede. It doesn't disappear, it recedes. And what takes over is the environment. You have parents who teach you to be selfish. 
parents themselves are selfish, project insecurities, you become an insecure person. Hard for you to find healthy relationships. Whom can you trust? All these words, love, trust, truth, transcendence, which is the domain of your soul, it's in you, is beating inside of you, but it's not consciously prominent and dominant in your life. So the soul is pained even further, it cries. Like a child in a little corner being neglected, it cries for your attention. And the soul continues to have the perspective, that spiritual perspective. That will never change. It's just not being expressed. So how then does the soul look at this world? And looks now, okay, the 20th century, the birth of the internet at the end of the 20th century, the first beginning of the 21st century. It looks at it just as it looked at everything till now, but now it's more magnified. Because social media, technology, social media, and other factors are taking more and more of our time and more and more of our energy. And if it's not being used the right way, it becomes more and more inundating and controlling of our lives. And others control our agendas. Look how money controls a human being. How do you think a soul looks at that? It looks at it very strange. What is this money thing? That money will not last the rest of uh, forever. One day when your soul and body separate again, you cannot take the money back with you where your soul goes. And yet we're so consumed because we're consumed with the here and now. In the words of the Talmud, look, alas, how people will be completely, completely controlled by temporary life and forego permanent life. We live for the moment or for several moments. We think that the physical, our physical possessions and commodities, starting with money, is the most important measure. Many people think most important measure of success. The soul would laugh if, it wouldn't, if it's not so sad. This is temporary, impermanent. It's not who you really are. So when the soul is dragged along on this vehicle called the body, so instead of the vehicle being guided by the captain, the soul, the soul, the captain, is held hostage by our bodies and our physical needs and, and is controlled and schlepped along, yes, dragged along into what? Whatever we indulge in. The mystics talk about the sadness of the soul when it's compelled to energize our body and physical needs that are destructive, that hurt others, that hurt yourself. So what about social media now? So social media, from the soul's point of view, it's like, think of a child sleeping quietly at night. Everything is peaceful. And suddenly there's a crash. And then there's more than one crash. You're being bombarded and inundated with information in all different directions. How would, what will happen? Besides being startled, we become disoriented and confused. The soul is confused by it all. Even though it may get used to it, but it's confused. Well, truth is, it never gets used to it. But it's confused by it all because all this is coming your way. And what do you need this information for? Is it helping you fulfill your, pur- your deeper purpose? In most cases, you're ignoring the soul's perspective. So the soul indeed has a social dilemma. Now, in a healthy way, a soul thrives on interacting with others. Two people sit and study together, pray together. Then you have a synergy of a community all experiencing something transcendent. That's what the soul craves. But if social media 
and the social environment begins to be a, this, this distraction, or distraction, I would say, this overwhelming turbulence that dominates your life, the soul is a frightened little child waiting for some comfort, waiting for some care. Think about me. Feed me. Nourish me. Like a little child who just hears the adults yelling and screaming and a lot of stuff going on. And I don't mean yelling or screaming necessarily even out of anger. Just a lot of noise. So the social dilemma of the soul is a very deep one. Because here it's, it came to this world, your soul, to not just not be influenced, but to influence, to be the captain, to guide you, to be that voice of reason, that voice of con- that conscience, that love that brings the best out of yourself and out of everyone. But it's now forced to interact with and countered by very powerful forces. So the soul is troubled with that. But, and here's the good news, the soul never gives up, and therefore never, neither, neither should we. It's always there. It will remind you. It will remind you through anxiety, through disorientation, through a certain sense of emptiness. Look at what the pandemic has done for many. When you can't rely on your usual comfort zones and security blankets, there's a certain deep emptiness. You know, how much can you entertain yourself? Many people have turned inward. Many people sense the vulnerability because all their schedules and plans have been disrupted. So they turn inward and the soul is suddenly getting a little more attention. Now some people, for the record, are spiritual people and feed their soul in a very healthy way on an ongoing basis. But that doesn't mean there isn't more to do. The good news is that the soul, your soul has all the power, not just not to be influenced, but to harness all this technology, not just to live a life of asceticism, to harness it all toward the proper ends. And in a very interesting way, even your physical life, even survival, even that other voice, also wants the soul to control. But you need to make that effort. The ship does, wants a captain to direct it. So the soul, on one hand, all its fears were confirmed when it comes in this world to this world, but then also it discovers, you know, I have to dig deeper and reach more inward. And you know what you discover? Unbelievable powers and resources and skills and energy to illuminate and direct and harness all those forces around us to use the technologies to help others. But this requires focusing on your mission. Let's go back to the soul and its mission. The seduction and the distractions of the immediate and of others is going to be very powerful. It's going to tug at you, and it tugs at you all the time. But you have equal amount of strength to resist and say, I appreciate your energy, but you know what? You need to be directed. You're the box, you're the vehicle, but this vehicle has to go towards somewhere. So the soul's social dilemma is, what do I do? How do I change the course of my life? And the answer is you take control. 
you start by doing things, small things. Start with saying Moda'ani in the morning, which is that one-line prayer that says, thank you for returning my soul to me. My soul. Thank you for giving me a mission, for renewing my mission. Remind yourself of this throughout the day and see the rest of your life, whatever it may be, all the details, including survival, eating, sleeping, dressing, grooming, social interactions, all as ways and methods, spokes, if you wish, connected by the hub of your soul and its direction, its mission statement. That's how you begin. Doesn't mean it has to be perfect. It doesn't mean it has to be all-consuming. It means you st- step by step. The shift is a qualitative one. Look through the eyes of the soul. How does your soul see the world around it? How does it see all the, the information revolution, the social media revolution? How does the soul see that? So the more you study, the more you become aware of your soul, the more you'll be able to see it that way. And everything changes. It's like whoever said this, I'm not sure who coined this. We're not physical beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a physical journey. That's a fundamentally different way of looking at things. Some of the mystics put it this way, that the material world is like a husk. Husks, shells, containers. So an orange has an orange peel, as does a potato, as does an egg, have a shell different fruit, but there's a fruit within. What are you focusing on? Are you living on the shell, on the peel? Or are, is the peel there to protect and express the fruit within? Everything in life, you can ask that question. Every interaction you're going to have today, tomorrow. You're getting, you go, you're getting online to do some work. You know your job well. What is the fruit within your job? What is the spiritual opportunity? Perhaps to be kind to someone who may need it and who doesn't need it. Perhaps to use your particular skills to volunteer or advise somebody that may need advice. The money you make, look at it. Is it just my money just to take care of myself and my own needs? How do I share? How do I give some charity? How do I help another? In every interaction, you eat a meal. Is it just to indulge? Your body, the, the peel, the shell, the fruit within is the spark. How will I use the energy of the food I'm eating now and drink to be of service, to help, to be kinder, gentler? And you have this choice every second of your life 24-7 because the soul is right there, sent on this mission, and it's up to us to access it. So when you start looking through the lens of the soul, and I tell you, it takes time, because we're so hypnotized by the matrix of this world, we see things from the outside in. Yes, we feel things from the inside out, but mostly the outside in. You see something, it distracts you. You hear something. Our senses, our sensory tools control our lives. Sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. To see things from within is asking yourself, how does my soul see it? Where's the love within it? Love is not a sensory. You can experience love in a sensory way, through touch, a hug, a kiss, an embrace. But love itself, the search for purpose, the search for truth, 
kindness, generosity, gratitude. Every virtue we cherish is a soulful virtue. From a body's point of view, using Freudian language, the it, it's about me, me, me. Yes, I'll follow some rules, ego, superego, red lights, green lights, so things should, should, we, shouldn't all co co we should coexist and not kill each other. But it's all about me. The soul's perspective, it's not about me, there is no me. All I am is here to serve a higher purpose. These two now have to find a way to make peace. And the soul is the more intelligent one. Because the first voice is impulsive. It's not reflective. It thinks about my interests. It's always an impulsive. It may use intelligence to, to finagle and to connive and to conspire to figure out how to get its needs and therefore can masquerade like a very reflective force. But it's not. It's, it's there to just take care of itself. The soul doesn't think about itself. It thinks about the higher purpose. And that's the clash. And it is a clash. It's a battle. In the classic work, Tanya, from Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, he, in a most powerful way, he picks this battle. Two forces at work. Two clashing with each other. He even uses the example of war. Of two nations at war with each other. Over this small city, which is the body. Over this piece of your life. This is the soul's social dilemma. And when you're able to look through the eyes of the soul, everything changes. First of all, you, become, you start becoming in control of your life. What enters through your eyes and ears, taste, touch, and smell? You have gatekeepers. You don't let everything in. A healthy person doesn't just open their doors in their home and let everything in and everything out. No. You have gates and you have gatekeepers. This is how the soul controls what goes in, what goes out. You'll say, we need filters or you only need God, uh, for, for children. No, all of us need filters. And I don't mean not physical filters. That's a technical part of it. I mean, I, mean, I mean emotional and spiritual filters. What should enter your life? How much should you be on social media? What should you be listening to? What should you be watching? What should you be interacting with? Don't let it control you. You determine. Now, I know it's difficult because we have to, in a way, wean ourselves off this addiction. But we're not talking about deprivation. We're talking about harnessing. So number one, you get, into, you get in control. Number two, you'll see your life becomes more meaningful and purposeful because all these are tools. It's a tool chest. It's a sophisticated tool chest. It's one that can amplify, can, can, this, can um, stream, can receive so, so much information quickly, immediately. But it's a tool at the end of the day. So your life becomes more peaceful. And ultimately your life becomes more harmonious. Because you don't have all these fragments and all these distractions. They're all being driven by some unified purpose and cause within you. That's how the soul looks at the universe around it. But it's waiting for you and I to access it. Because we have before us these two choices. These two voices. Everyone does. Now the next step is yours. What would you do? And then instead of being the soul's dilemma, it becomes the soul's reward. Because when the soul dominates and its voice dominates, it actually transforms everything around it. And the soul then realizes that the place I came to, which I did not want to come to, this dark and cold world, this hostile world, actually provided me the opportunity to live up to my purpose I could never have done in heaven. 
in the more spiritual realms is the challenge, the resistance that brought out the best in me. And it realizes that the real purpose is fulfilled here. And then it says the soul doesn't want to leave. Not because it likes the physical world, because it sees the power of fulfilling such a purpose in this dark world. Illuminating it transforms everything. So death doesn't come easy to the soul because it sees the potential that it can continue to actualize. And yet the soul continues on its trajectory. But I believe the biggest challenge is the first step, is feeding the soul, nurturing it, cultivating it, allowing it to really speak to you. That you can hear its voice, see its, its energy, taste, touch, and smell it, and I mean a supersensory way, and allow it to express itself in your life. As I said, in every step of your day, every move you make, every breath you take, everything can be permeated with the soul's perspective and the soul's mission. And we're given strength to do so. We're empowered. Every challenge comes along with a package of strengths. So there's no challenge on earth that we cannot overcome. And you begin right now begins right now the journey well the journey began when you were conceived and born but the journey even prior to that but I mean the journey to access and to change the course of your life begins right now maybe use it well and as always great honor to share these ideas with you this is the mission of the Meaningful Life Center it's my mission MeaningfulLife.com please check us out we have a full schedule of programs and events that have only been added and continue to increase literally on a daily basis, especially due to the challenging times we live in. Share, like, comment, give us your thoughts and suggestions. We, will th- we thrive on the interaction, and we hope you do as well. Thank you, and be blessed. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.